Hello, and welcome to The Shining Light, where we are shining the light of the gospel and speaking the truth in love, providing strength, and stirring the hearts of our listeners. We are so glad to have you joining us today as you listen to this message from Pastor Tim Cruz. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me in God's Word tonight to the book of Amos. And uh, you'll come to the minor prophets, Hosea and Joel and then Amos. His name means to be burdened. God was burdened. I want you to see this. They should have been burdened over their sin, but they weren't. God was, however, burdened for their sin. Amos was a Jew, but prophesying in the northern kingdom around 776 B.C. He exercised his ministry during the reign of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam was an able but idolatrous king who brought his kingdom to the zenith of its power. Nothing could seem more improbable about what Amos was saying to the people than what he was saying about what God was going to do in time to come. They were mighty in strength here at the zenith, think about it, of power. All things were abundant and clicking on all cylinders. And he comes in and says, hey, it's not going to be this way much longer. In time, God's going to call your sin into account because you refuse to acknowledge it and deal with it in your own life. What sin we will not deal with. There comes a point where God knows if we're struggling. God knows if we're wrangling with sin, it with us. But He also knows there comes a time to where we make up our mind and say, well, this is just who I am or this is just what I'm going to do. That's just the way it is. It becomes more defiant attitude of heart and spirit. And that's where these people were. And God was going to call their sin into account. Years would pass, even pass, but God would use the Babylonian captivity. Nebuchadnezzar, think about it, to come against his people and take them into captivity to even destroy the house of God. It's amazing, isn't it? All the loss that God was warning them of continually, they couldn't see it though. I think we have to be careful, even with our country. I've heard people say things like, America's too big to fall. We're not bigger than God. And we're not bigger than sin and its consequence. Pride goes before destruction. And here we are in the week of Thanksgiving coming up. We need to be thankful for our freedoms. We need to be thankful for our country, but we need to be praying for God's mercies to be upon us. And it comes from acknowledging where we are before the Lord and our sin and how God is merciful and God extends His mercy toward us and God will help us and forgive us if we will humble ourselves. We get into chapter 2 here of the book of Amos and I want to draw your attention in particular to verse 13. This is God speaking to Judah and Israel, his divided kingdom. Behold, I am pressed under you as a cart is pressed that is full of sheaves. Underline that expression, I am pressed under you. Burdened by the sinfulness of his people, one writer said, the Lord was like a wagon 
weighted down to capacity. Alternately, Amos pictured Israel being crushed by God like any object under the wheels of a heavily laden cart. The Lord was to Israel like a cart loaded with sheaves at harvest, creaking beneath a load of sin and oppression and hastening the day when He would bear Israel's sins no longer. God says, I am pressed under you. They were weighing the Lord down. Think of that. I wonder, and I ask you this question tonight, do you weigh people down or do you lift them up? Do you bring heaviness in people's lives or do you help lift their load? Do you add to the load or take from the load that God has placed upon them providentially? I think we need to take that to heart and we need to just be honest with ourselves before the Lord because God was saying, you're weighing on me. I mean, you're, you're just weighing on my heart to the point to where something's got to give. Something's got to give. That's where God was with His people. As we think about their multiple transgressions that God outlined before them, He gives seven sins here in chapter 2 that he would hold them specifically and directly accountable for. But it's interesting as you think about it, the Bible says in the middle of verse 4 that here was the root, the very heart of their sin. They have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept His commandments, and their lies cause them to err, after the which their fathers have walked. God is saying, you have left off my word. You've developed a contempt toward what I have given you. And you act as though it's an option. It's not something to take very seriously. You can rationalize, excuse, justify, whatever you want to do. And think that you just bypassing what God has said is going to be okay. But here's what's amazing. God lays the case out before them that every sin that they were guilty of ultimately went back to this root. They had left off the Word of God. They had chosen to not obey God and what He had said to them in His Word. And I think it's amazing because as you look at verse 6 and following, there were those who would sell the righteous. Uh, they would be those who would sell others out. Uh, the poor and the needy were victims of dishonest legal and economic practices in Israel. Think about it. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes. Think about it. They were taking advantage of people. Those who were righteous, trying to do what's right, those who were needy, they were trying to advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, and they were selling them into even debtor slavery. Whatever they could to advantage themselves financially, they were willing to do that at any cost, at anyone else's expense, at anyone else's suffering. All they were thinking about is not, wow, How's this going to affect others? They were thinking about, no, how's it going to affect me? 
That's where they were. And the Bible says, think about it. I, I think it's amazing. Uh, the seven sins as they are enumerated and listed here. The first sin which Israel was indicted for involved taking bribes for as little money as what a pair of shoes or sandals would cost in exchange for a man's life. Israel should have been generous toward the poor, but their sin devalued human life. Think about that. In every way, people and how their actions affected them was not their driving force. It was not, hey, is this right before God? Is this right by my brother or my sister? I liked how the preacher preached this morning addressing us, now brothers and sisters. I appreciated that, didn't you? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are a part of the family of God. And so think about it. Don't ever value things material over relationships, over people. Because people are far more important. Do you remember, you think about Jonah, he was so upset at all the things that he ultimately lost and that people had humbled themselves. And uh, just turn with me over there right quick. Jonah chapter number four, it's just a couple books over. You know, God had prepared the fish, God had prepared the gourd and the worm and a vehement east wind and, and then uh, those things were given and taken away and served their purpose. And Jonah was just so angry in verse number 9. Then said the Lord in verse 10, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in a night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and also much cattle? God is saying right here, you're upset about something that just grew up in the night and then died in the night. More so than people who live in eternity forever. Isn't that amazing? What upsets you? What aggravates you the most? Is it something material or is it something eternal that concerns you most? See, Jonah, when he was not right with God, he got those things reversed. Everything earthly, everything temporal was its driving motivation, that of his outlook on life, not things eternal. And I think about what was going on here back in our text in Amos chapter 2. Human life and relationships had been so devalued. Wow. They were selling the righteous to the creditors. The poor or needy were victims of dishonest gain. And all the different things that they could have realized, that, hey, this is not right, this is not just, this is not equitable. They could have realized that it's because we don't value the word of the Lord and we don't even value human dignity. Or life. Hasn't God forgiven us great debt of sin? You remember the story about the man who was forgiven a great debt that he couldn't know? He would have had to work day and night for like many, many years to even get close to paying it off. And so 
it was something that was really out of reach. But he was forgiven that great debt. And then he went out and those who owed him a debt, you know, it's like, oh, you're going to pay me. You're going to pay me. Oh, I'm going to exact this upon you. And then when the king heard about that, oh, he was very upset. And he threw him in a debtor's prison. I don't know that who that you might be exacting upon, but be careful about that. Because God's been liberal with you. God has been free with you. Isn't that right? And it may not just be something material. It may be exacting upon someone in your spirit, your attitude toward them. You don't value them as you should. Be careful. We reap what we sow. And the way we treat other people, value them or devalue them, has a way of coming full circle. It's coming back to us one day. Be careful how you respond. Be careful how you react. Be careful how you initiate and handle things in your life. The first sin. The second sin was legal corruption. It's amazing. In verse 7, what was going on? That pan after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor and turn aside the way of the meek. Moses had called for impartiality, but Israel's court sided with creditors against debtors. Oppressors were so greedy that they would pant after the very dust that the poor threw on their heads in mourning. <laughs> the poor would, would just, you know, under sackcloth and ashes as it were, just the dust on their heads. It's like we're mourning and it's like, is there anything I can get for that dust? You know, have you ever been around someone who is greedy? I mean really greedy. If you have, you would be shocked how exacting they can be. How miserly they can be. How they can squeeze out something out of nothing, it seems. All in the name of advantaging themselves. I'd hate to live like that. Oh, I'd hate to be under the bondage of that, wouldn't you? Uh, fretting all the time, you know? Oh, what could I get out of this? What could I get for that? Oh, why would this not? I don't want to live my life that way. That's the way they were living their life. Can you imagine what God is calling them into account for here? Such oppression, such greed, that they would pant after the very dust that the poor threw on their heads in their time of mourning. The third sin here, the last part of verse 7 speaks of how the fathers and sons were committing sexual sin, perhaps with temple prostitutes or concubines or even their own female relatives. Whichever their behavior showed contempt for God's holy name. People think that they can justify and excuse all kinds and all forms of sin, but God says, see, one sin builds on another. And when you are covetous, when you are greedy, see, those are opposite sides of the same coin. Greed comes out of covetousness, and it's wanting more. It's wanting something that God has forbidden, and it's taking what God has held back for yourself because it's all about what you want and not what God wants. This is where they were, and you never know how far it will go. You never know how deep the corruption will be. So God says, that's another Sin, the third that I'm going to deal with because you won't deal with it. In verse 8, 
We read about the fourth sin. The Israelites failed to return garments taken as pledges for debts. Creditors could take a garment as collateral toward a debt, but were to return it to the owner before nightfall, according to Exodus 22. Perpetrators took these garments before pagan altars at feasts honoring whatever god they worshipped. Think about that. There's so much dishonesty. There's so much... You heard the word finagling? You know what that word means? Is it a real word? All right, I trust it is because I use it and I know what it means in my mind, all right? They were trying to figure it out. They were trying to force it. They were trying to, you know, smoke and mirrors it. And uh, it's just uh, the sleight of hand in every way. Again, it's all about personal advantage. Here's what happens. If you don't live for God... If God does not reign on your heart, you reign on your heart. If you don't serve God, you won't serve others. And if you don't serve God and others, you will serve yourself. But here's the thing about serving yourself. When you become your own God, you can never satisfy yourself. The God of self will never be satisfied. It'll never be enough. And it can manifest itself in all kinds of different ways. Their fifth sin related to idolatry among these Israelites in verse 8. They used the wine that they had received as fines extracted from the poor to honor heathen gods. Can you imagine what they did get, what they did extract from others, they would take it and offer it up as an offering to the heathen gods. Let me tell you this, and I'll say this before the Lord as sincerely as I can say it. You're going to give to some God. You're just going to. If you won't give to the true God of heaven, you're going to give to some God. You're just going to. That's the nature of it. You can read that even in Daniel chapter 1, all the offerings made up before the false gods. Whichever God you serve, you're going to give offerings. You're going to invest in that God. Now, if you make yourself a God and say, well, I'm going to take care of me. Well, listen, I'm going to tell you, what we keep one day we'll lose, but what we give unto the true God, we still have. Because we're going to meet it again at the judgment seat of Christ. Do we believe that? You're going to give to some God. I'm going to give to some God. Don't, don't think it's, well, I, I just don't tithe. I don't give to the church. And, you know, and, and I just don't believe in those type things. Well, if the truth were known, you're giving to some God. You're investing in something that you're looking for a return from. Amazing, isn't it? Don't think that you're neutral in this thing because you're not. I think it's amazing when you consider it and you look at it. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 1. Just look at that for a moment. Whatever God you serve is going to cost you is the point. Daniel chapter 1, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah, verse 2, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Whatever God you serve, you're going to give to and it's going to cost you. There it is in the scriptures. 
Don't think, well, I just, I'm just not going to give at all. Oh, you're giving to something. Just like your time. Well, I'm just not going to give any more time to the Lord. We're giving it to something. You're using your time one way or another, as well as your talents, your abilities, your treasures. You're using it for something, either temporal or something eternal. And see, that's where they had lost that distinction because they left off the Word of God in their lives. And they would get some kind of reward by exacting from others, and then they would offer it to even a false god. Isn't that amazing? I've seen it through the years. People like, well, I'm just not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to give to that. And I am amazed if I could recount for you the things that I know of in different ones' lives who took that attitude and took that approach of how their God not only cost them, but if they were truly a Christian, the true God took from them. I've been preaching for a long time. That's what we've lost. We've lost the fear of God. We have an attitude against the Lord. We have an attitude against the Lord's house. We think, well, this is mine. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm just telling you, you're not going to be neutral in this thing. You're not going to say, well, I'm just going to do what I want to do. You will invest and give to your God. It may be the God of self. It may be something else or someone else. Your God is going to cost you. And if you know the Lord and you have that kind of attitude or spirit that I'm just going to do what I want to do because mine is mine. And however I get it, I get it. Just be careful. I could tell you story after story when people took that approach what it cost them. And, I, and I'm talking about sometimes, truly, not just in other areas we talk about, but directly in that realm, financially. You have to be careful. See, this is what they lost that distinction. They lost that respect and reverence before God. And so God's calling it into account. And then you move more into the sixth and seventh sins, verses 11 and 12. They're highlighted by their ungrateful response to His grace. They encouraged the Nazarites to drink wine which God had forbidden. They commanded the prophets to stop prophesying. Think about that. We don't want to hear the word of the Lord anymore. The time's going to come if you're not careful. If you developed a mild contempt toward the things of God, you're not all in. You don't want to be a part of it. You don't want to share in it. The time will come when you won't want anything to do with it. This thing of serving God is a long journey. It's a long, long ways between here and home if the Lord tarries. Isn't that right? If we take an attitude now of hesitation and reservation, I'm not going to be all in, I'm not going to do my part, the time will come when you won't be in at all. That's where they were. We don't want to hear it no more. See, they just ignored the Word of God. They developed a contempt for the things of God. They made themselves a God. They kept to themselves. They heaped to themselves. And then what they did get by advantaging themselves at someone else's expense and not doing their part, they, they even took it and squandered it and, and gave it to things of this world that truly dishonored God. <laughs> they left God out altogether. And then the time came when they, they didn't want anything to do with the Word of God. They didn't even want to hear it. And those who were dedicated to God, they mocked them and made fun of them. 
Think about it, the Nazarites. Those were ordinary people, ordinary citizens of the, of the land who voluntarily consecrated themselves to God and said, we will do certain things that God has commanded and not do other things that God said no. And we willingly consecrate ourselves to Him for His service. And those are the people they mocked and made fun of. Let me ask you, how do you look at people who are trying to go on for God? Do you pray for them, pull for them, encourage them, help them in every way? Or do you look to discredit them, to doubt them, indict them, look at some fall to uh, discredit them over? What do you do? See, are you lifting people up or are you weighing people down? These people weighing God down. And God says something's got to give here. That's where they were. That's where the Lord was. Well, it's amazing. I think about all the blessings that God has given us. And God has been good to us. And we all can agree with that, right? But just look with me one more time over the book of Jonah. And I close. Jonah chapter 2. Jonah's in the belly of the whale, running from God. And here's a part of the prayer that he prays. Jonah chapter 2 and verse 8, they that observe lying vanities, underline that. The thought here of vanity is to regard something that's empty or vain or worthless, something that is temporary. They that observe, those who give themselves over to things other than things of God, things of the truth of the Word of God is what he's saying. Those who yield themselves to these things, they become dominant in their thinking and in their pursuit, in their desires, in their actions. What do they do? They forsake their own mercy. Can you believe that? The preacher talked this morning about the mercies of God are new every morning. He's crafted the mercies you need for this day, just for you, personalized. The Bible says when you leave God out, when you make decisions to personally advantage you without regard to, Lord, what is your will? What honors you? What blesses and helps others? What can I do? What is my part? If you don't have a true servant's heart, the time comes when you, you have to recognize that you're given to self. You're serving yourself. And, and I'll tell you, uh, self is not going to be a very easy God to please and get along with is going to become so exacting, so demanding, you will not be able to satisfy it. And you will again and again and again be frustrated and frustrated and frustrated and think, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I get ahead? Because the more I try to exact, the more I try to manipulate, the further I fall behind. And God says it's because you've just abandoned the mercies that God's provided for you. You're living like God is not there. There's a time when God lets us do what we choose to do as though we're not here. That's Hosea chapter 4. God says, you've forgotten me. You're living like I'm not here. He says, I will forget your children. I'm going to act like you and they are not there. I'd hate to think that I chose to leave God out of my life, willingly disregard something he said in his word, and not realize the digression of that, how that sin is going to progress to the point where I, I just don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to be a part of anything like that. And I even mock those who are trying to do something that's right. 
I've got that attitude in my heart. Yeah. Be careful. Because what you're doing the whole while, you've put yourself in an exalted position, but yet God says that you're in a vulnerable position. You've abandoned, you've forsaken the mercies that God has provided, prepared for you every day. Now I'll tell you, I cannot imagine living in this merciless world, this exacting world, without the mercies of God upon my life. I need His mercies, don't you? I, I don't want to be someone that just weighs upon the heart of God and God says, I'm, I'm waiting on you to deal with this. If you don't, I'll have to. I don't want to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. I want to have a relationship with the Lord to where it's like God is pleased. God is honored. Because God says, them that honor me, I will honor. I want the Lord to be blessed when he looks at me. He won't ever see perfection in me, but he will see it in the righteousness of his son that's applied to my account. Isn't that right? And I'm accepted in the beloved. So i just ask you this question tonight, and we close. Do you weigh people down or lift them up? Is the tenor of your attitude, your spirit, your heart to help to serve, to give, even to the point of sacrifice? How can I honor the Lord? How can I help others? Or, well, you know, there's a line. There's a limit. And then I become a little bit cynical. Then I become even more selfish. But I got a reason. And I'm okay with that. What you're doing is you're backing yourself up into your own cell of bondage. And you don't even see it. May God open our eyes and our hearts tonight and set us free. Let's stand with our heads bowed. I remember praying in Bible college, Lord, make me an encourager. Help me to lift people up. Can I encourage you to pray that prayer tonight? From your heart is unto the Lord. Lord, help me to lift others up. Help me to help lighten their load. Help me to come along the side of them. And, and it's just like I preached Wednesday night. He became obedient, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There was never a point to where Jesus said, oh, this is as far as I go. I've done this for you, done that for you. I'm not doing that. God does not want us to have that attitude. I've done this, that. I'm not going to do that. God, help us to say, Lord, whatever you want, thy will be done in my life. I'm willing, Lord, to serve I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to give and do my part, knowing that you're worthy and that it's going to be used by you to bless others. Thank you for listening to The Shining Light. We pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and blessing to you. The Shining Light is a production of Shining Light Baptist Church located at 2541 Old Charlotte Highway in Monroe, North Carolina. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us. Service times and more information can be found at our website, www.shininglightmonroe.com. You can also watch our services on Facebook and YouTube and connect with us on social media. Thank you for joining us, and God bless.